How exciting. It ain't exciting because they ain't no school. Yeah, I know. But we can work it out. It won't be no school for this part, but it'll be school for the rest of it. Yeah, true that. Including right. like, yes, thank you. Sid, Sid is my uh, technical director here. <laughs> okay, so we are live, everybody. Thank you for joining the Sanctuary Radio Show. Please give me a minute to share this post with uh, my goddess page, and then I will we'll get right to it because it's going to be cool. I have some really cool guests here. I've been looking forward to this since the beginning of summer school. <laughs> so we are probably on like week nine or 10 of summer school. So join us. Hey, Janine, thank you for joining us. Give us a second. Please share. Please share. Okay. All right, so we are sharing. I've shared. We are good to go. I did as well. All right, thank you, ladies. So, again, I'm Wendy Cherry of the Sanctuary Radio Show, and I am in the middle of summer school. And this is my um, hi, sister. <laughs> sister Lisa's here. Um, I am the host of the Sanctuary Radio Show, and I've just been having what I'm calling summer school. We're not in the studio anymore. We're at home, and I just decided to let's keep it. Let's keep the love going. And so this summer school series was basically my um, my getting some of the stuff out that I was having, the angst and stuff that I was having around COVID when COVID hit and wanting to share tools with people that I loved and cared about, friends and family, who I was seeing on all of my social platforms who were in pure hysteria. Mm -hmm. And so I have gathered my friends and um, they're, they're very wise. Different, different ones, and they all said yes to come on to the summer school to share different things. So think of yourself as a toolkit, and we're just adding more tools to the toolkit because I think the road is finna get a little bumpier. It is finna. Rissy and uh, Kat and uh, Evelyn, don't you agree? Uh. So <laughs> I want to introduce my friend here. This is, uh-oh, Evelyn's already getting started. Hey, Ooh, sister, hey sister Shannon. Uh, Risikat Okadei is the um, principal, the visionary, the cultural architect of Little Soso Productions. And for those of you who read my book, she is Cat from the Red Tent, that little section there. And then um, I have Evelyn, Oke uh, Evelyn Bando, and she, I met her inside of the Red Tent. Rissy, and um, she is what she she calls her movement is the mystic genius, and I don't know how much of that you're doing now. You can talk about that, but she has many gifts, and she shares lots of great information. And she actually connected me when I was going to Thailand. She actually connected me with a group that I'm still connected with. So welcome, Evelyn. Thank you. Hello, hello, hello. Hello, welcome, Isa. So we have so many people already who are joining us. Um, and so, how y'all doing? This is gonna be laid back. So my other, my other uh, summer schools were a little bit more, you know, a, a little bit more uh, tight. This mm -hmm. one, we just letting it all out because I'm tired. Like right. I'm tired. So how, how are y'all feeling just today? Cause it, it's a day by day thing. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Go ahead, Um. So, I'm gonna preface this, but I'm probably gonna cuss by the end of this the end of the situation. So y'all really <laughs> <get to>. uh, 
<laughs> um, so the day started off bumpy. I'm not going to lie. There was some bullshit that, you know, we had to deal with. And um, I was really looking for the lessons. Um, I feel like I've been getting a warning for, you know, for a couple of days now about just, you know, people and behaviors and understanding how COVID is affecting um, people's insecurities and their fears and all the things that come with that. And so uh, it started off bumpy, but I have an amazing tribe of goddess women that I roll with. And so being able to talk and engage and really kind of dig deep, like for me, pandemic is shadow work. It's like, let's get in here. Let's see about the parts of you that you need to reframe. And you know, what are you being triggered by? What does that look like? And how do you deal? So it was, it was bumpy, but then I put on my kimono. Okay. And I made some stew and um, put on my funky eyeliner and now it's fantastic. <laughs> so see, those are tools that you can use. What about you, Evelyn? Um, you know, my spirit is fed up. <laughs> oh. But um, so, you know, I am on the extremes of like, yeah, things are cool and spirit is fed up. And I think it's just part of the process and the purging of what's happening. I think for particularly for the past three weeks, definitely a lot of revelations have been happening. I'm seeing my own triggers. Um, you know, I was in therapy on Saturday sobbing like a baby because uh, the therapist pointed out like travel is one of the ways that you are able to cope and shift perspective and you can't do that. And I broke down and cried for five minutes. Like I was mourning. Um, and really just this, it's for me, it's a time of self mastery. Um, when I think about the work I'm have been doing in the world and moving into more deeply, you know, that self mastery thing is key. And I look at this time as this, this is the time where you, you, you separate and you call out your bullshit. You go within and you do your own work. Um, and you can't be too worried about what's going on all around because, right. you know, a lot of us people are just walking from their wounds and not their wisdom. And a lot of things are being triggered and a lot of, you know, little baby demons are coming up and out and there's a lot of energy that wants to feed on all sorts of stuff. And it's really trying to maintain my equanimity, my centering. Um, you know, if I'm being triggered, what's being triggered? What do I need to sit down and look at? Um, Self-acceptance work. So, okay, I got to accept myself and then I got to accept everyone else, apparently. I mean, I guess that's how this works, right? <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, everything, everything that comes with a paradigm shift on an individual level, a global level, and a universal level. Mm. With some tequila in my fruit word so i feel you on that travel thing because i have traveled since i was in the second grade and i love it my mom always encouraged me to just fly mm -hmm. and so now that i can't i feel trapped my spirit animal is the butterfly mm -hmm. so i'm always wanting to just go and, f and flutter and so i haven't even been up 95 north to see my mother to new jersey mm -hmm. so i was saying to somebody i feel like i'm in a glass and I just keep bumping up on Rock Creek Park and bumping up on Silver Spring and bumping up on Springfield, Virginia. Like I'm in a, I, I can't escape. Yeah. And it, it, it has been starting to bother me more than it did in the beginning, of course. So 
that's something that I'm dealing with for myself and not, you know, usually in the summertime, Sid sits at camp grandma and I'm in like Asia or wherever I'm going, Africa, wherever. And so it's been pretty hard to just kind of be here um, and, and have to sit because I, I feel like I was always doing, I have been doing this work for a lot of years and there's always layers. Don't get me wrong. There's always something new that you can find out about yourself. But I've always worked from home for nine years when I was in corporate America so that I'm always in the house. So that's why I, I just feel the need to just go. So I understand that too. Yeah. Um, people were excited when 2020 came in. So, so excited. Y'all type in the oh. chat, Adama, Tony, Steven, Hadia, like what y'all thinking now? Like nobody right. feels that way now. But I feel like, I think people who, who have been doing this work, we do because we understand, the, understand that the universe is self-correcting. Like it'll throw off the assholes mm -hmm. after a while they'll yeah. they'll turn off things it's self-correcting and it gives us clearer vision and i also believe that um we're, we're learning things about ourselves and our families and our jobs and things that we wouldn't have paid attention to before because we were hustling on the beltway right. trying to get across town take the kids wherever they got to go tend to the booth whatever it is that you had to do and now this has been the force so i don't say throw it away because yeah, I mean, we're learning these lessons. Yeah, it was interesting because when the whole New Year's, you know, ritual started or whatever, people are you excited about 2020 doing vision boards and all of that. I had known the messages that I had gotten and I'm like, I'm not going to say anything because I'm going to be called a negative Nancy or whatever. Right. And really what I was telling a few people who were open to listen is I don't know if you want to be making any wild goals. I don't know if you want to be really getting yourself too, too excited um, because energetically what's about to happen is it's, it's a huge shift. And I think what tends to happen uh, in, in when something goes mainstream, um, like spirituality or whatever it is, is that people want to focus on always the good and the positive, but everything is duality and polar polarity and balance. Absolutely. And, and what I've recognized and what I was thinking, this is a time of transition and how do, how do I say this? You know, the, the immaturity that sometimes happened with spiritual um, knowledge and excitement is that we're always saying something is going to be good. We're going through this and it's going to be good. Well, no, um, there's no saying what it's going to be. It's going to be what it needs to be in order to get you to where you need to go. And there is no rule hard and fast in this universe that says if we go through all this pain and suffering that we're going to come out the other side rainbows and roses because our free will in terms of how we go through all of this is going to dictate what we end up with and i'll just leave it there so i was like 2020 is going to be the year of vision but it's going to come in hindsight wow i got fooled i was bamboozled i was <laughs> i was super excited um because 2020 came in for me very like, let's chop away all the nonsense. And so people were falling off. I was saying no to a bunch of things. I was like, yo, this is how it's going to be. And it was feeling really good. But I will say this. Um, I was in Nigeria at the beginning of December. And I remember listening to the news report in the hotel about COVID. Mm. They were saying that, you know, Wuhan 
something had happened, da 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 da, and it started in November. And Spirit was like, mm, that's a lie. It probably started in October. And then there was a sense like, get ready. Didn't understand, you know, what that actually meant, but just knew that I was getting this inkling like, we need to get ready. Could not have imagined that this is what things were going to look like. Um, but I do think, again, this is so in a lot of different practices, there's this term called the shadow self. Everyone has one. You know, there's your, there's who you are, and then there's that part of yourself that remains hidden that, you know, you may touch or, you know, um, engage in with or not. But shadow work is a practice where you look at that dark self and you start to figure out what parts of that self are actually affecting your waking life. Um, and I think that this is a great time for shadow work. You can't go anywhere. You can't do shit. So you might as well spend some time trying to figure out what makes you tick. What are the things that are unresolved? What are the um, pains that have not been, you know, healed? You know, this, if you come out of COVID the same person, then you really have wasted the time. Like, I do think this is a control alt delete. I do think that a lot of us, whether we are conscious about it or not, have collectively been complaining about our existence for quite some time. We hate the running. We hate the running. We hate that we don't get to spend time with our families. We hate that we are limited in terms of how much money we make and how far we can go and our resources. And I think, you know, the universe has been hearing a bunch of complaints. So its response is, all right, shit, we're going to shut the whole thing down. Right. All these systems that you people are complaining about, let's just shut them down. And what you, and so that way you can see, you can see, you can see the lay of the land. And hopefully what people are realizing is that these systems that we put so much faith and trust in, we realize that they're trash. Like they, do, they don't serve us the way we think they do. Yeah. And so this is an opportunity, I, which I'm excited about. I'm, I'm kind of a, I'm an eternal optimist in a lot of ways. Um, I think this is a great opportunity to reinvent whoever you want to be for the next phase of your life. And I think if you have not sat down um, to think about that yet, that's cool because we're going to be here a little bit longer. Like, unfortunately, this second wave is not going to play. So even if you think, oh, okay, I've, I've wasted, no, you haven't wasted anything. You might've just been getting ready. Like I told someone recently, we're at the beginning of the middle. So it's going to hurt. It's not going to be fun. It's going to absolutely suck. But if you put it in perspective that sh shadow work is not fun. There's nothing fun about finding out about the dark parts of you that or self-sabotaging or fearful or, or, or jealous. Like that's, that's not fun. But if you can do the work, if you can keep the pace and do the work, a lot of the stuff that comes out, out of it, the creativity, the, the truth, the realness, the, the, the relationships, everything is better. Everything is so much better. So I would just urge everyone to um, strap in because it's about to be, we're not, we, ain't, we just getting started. We're just at the beginning of the middle. And wear your damn mask. You wear your damn mask. <laughs> you wear your mask. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's interesting because I was taking Sydney to Five Below yesterday. She's become a like a protege of an interior designer. <laughs> we have all this whole section of sage, incense. It's like commodified mm -hmm. spirituality mm -hmm. or whatever you call it. Mm -hmm. And so she's like, oh, mommy, I saw on TikTok where... I need to have this and this. So I wouldn't let her get any of it unless she could tell me what it was and what it was for. And then I also said, this is how they market to you and make money. They have a whole section of COVID where they got gloves, paper towels, uh, sanitizer and stuff like that. In a section I said, see how they have normalized this and now they're getting money from you. Right. So, you know, it's, 
is out there, but you just have to be careful. And then the shadow work is interesting for me because I feel like I have suppressed my shadow for mm -hmm. so long because I was always the, the goody two shoes, pain in the butt, right. doing everything by the rules. And just in the last few years, um, I have like shed that as much as I, like I have decolonized my brain of all these things or I'm trying, but I'm also turning 50. Mm -hmm. And every seven years you get a new body. This is my 49th year. I'll be 50 in three months. And no, I was trying to be in Brazil on the 50th. I was not trying to be in, in my, in my uh, condo here. Right. But that shadow part is um, I'm allowing myself to be the, the harmonized person because I don't even know about balance. But the, what is in harmony for me is to not always be the goody two shoes who's gonna let you say whatever you wanna say and let you get away with stuff. So there's more clapbacks that are coming from me. Right. There's more, there's less of a, um, I'm just standing more into my own power. Right. Is what it is. And the shadow part that I have re suppressed is now coming out. And so I'll, I'll have to learn how to calibrate it and make sure that it's in harmony so that I don't get myself in trouble. But, you know, it does feel good to be able to be like, F that. I don't have to do that. I don't have to, you know, I don't pretty much have to do too much of what anybody else says. I can pretty much do what I want to do and stand in what I believe and what I think is authentic. Now, Adama says 2020 was the year of hold my beer. <laughs> hey, Adama. <laughs> my god sister Jordan is here. Hey, Jordan. So we were, we were, this is what we're calling the state of the union. So we're just going to, I'm gonna get your first thoughts on some of the things that are happening because we were talking via email and a few texts and it's like, shit can get crazier by next week. Yes. So let's just hold on what we're gonna talk about because anything is possible. Right. So what do you all think about, so I was talking, so Evelyn hosts lots of really interesting and um, nuanced information about finances and about all types of things and so sometimes I look at her page and I don't know what she's talking about but <laughs> it, it gives me like a planted seed and then I can go and kind of like figure out what she's talking about or then it'll come into my you know like if you, you see something and then it's like synchronicity it all starts to just come right. so she talked about the devaluing of currency and it might be a, a weird place to start, but this is, again, one of those things that is just happening and you might not be paying attention. But how many of you with a thumbs up or a heart have been to the store recently and seen that they don't have any change and that they're not using paper dollars anymore? Right. And they're like talking about there's, you know, there's a shortage. So we went, you know, Sydney went shopping yesterday with her little new mall money and <laughs> they told her they didn't have any change. Now, it was only 20 cents, but I said, Sydney. She was like, it says 20 cents, mom. I'm like, but Sydney, that's how they ganking everybody. They got it in the drawer, but they right, don't right. tell everybody. So now how much, what if it's 20 cents for the 500 people who came into the store that day who they didn't give their change? Right. So Evelyn, that's just a small part of it, but what does it mean? What, what do you think we have to look forward to with our currency? We can cash app and we can do all those things, but what does that mean if somebody's going, if the government is going to devalue our currency? And what does that look like for the lay people? So where to start? So what's happening? So 
in the United States and really around the world, you have a central bank, which may or may not be a government agency. And their whole thing is to manage the economy, right? Capitalism requires management of the system through what's called monetary policy or fiscal policy. So what's been happening? You have to pay attention, particularly in the US, to what's been happening from when they did the first bank bailout at the top of the year, where $2.3 trillion disappeared into the fucking sky and nobody knew where anything was going, but then people were mad because people were walking out of Target with a lamp, right? Mm -hmm. So you have uh, airlines that got bailout money, big banks that got bailout money, and nobody can account for where any of that went. Yeah. And then you had the, the what is it, CARES Act or whatever. So that, that first COVID act where they gave people $1,200 plus whatever per kid. And all, there was a, a, another pot of money that disappeared into the corporate ethers. Small yeah. businesses weren't able to get what they needed because all these corporate chains were getting what they needed. So what's happening is, like, I think if we looked at the balance sheet of the United States of America, you would see that we are bankrupt. And there's something called the FOMC, the Federal Overnight Market Rate or something like that. And that's basically the rate that the Treasury lends to other banks in terms of having cash to ha because banks have specific cash reserves that they have to keep. Right. So a bank works by when you put your money in the bank, they take your money that you deposit and they lend it to others and they charge interest. The interest is how banks make money. So the more deposit accounts they have, the more high yield accounts they have, the more cash they have to lend. And because of the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation and the rules that came out of the New Deal after the stock market crashes and all that other type of stuff and the savings and loan crisis in the 80s, there are rules about how much money a bank has to have in reserves to cover the amount of consumer deposits they have. And so if a bank is gonna fall below a threshold, they borrow money from the feds to cover their reserve. Now, also this rate, if I'm remembering it correctly, um, is used to talk about like your uh, rates for your bonds. It's the um, market rate for which all the adjustable interest rates are based. So it's called, you know, your prime rate. So if your prime rate is 3%, like think about your credit card, you might have an interest rate of 10%, which yeah. means your prime is three, which means the, the gap in which the bank is making money is the 7%. If, you're, if the prime rate is zero, or the government has to lower the interest rate to a negative interest rate. At some point, right, there is no um, desire for the banks to lend because they're not making as much money. So they're holding on to cash. And so one method to deal with, you know, um, inflation or not having enough money circulating in the economy is you, you, you lower the value of the currency so that people have to physically put more cash. So you physically have to use more money to buy what you need. So if you had to, um, a gallon of milk might have cost $5, right? And then two weeks later, it's seven, mm -hmm. right? So you, you have all these manipulations of currencies that start to happen. You know, long story short is that what you want to pay attention to is at some point, if we're not mindful of what our government is doing and what's happening on the back end and where this money is going, the money that you have is not gonna go as far as you need it to go. And then 
if you want to get really deep into the woods about this authoritarian dictatorship that we're leaning into, um, you want to control the populace, you control the money. You want to control people's ability to move, you control how much their money is worth. You want to instill fear in people, you devalue the currency. If you want to know how that works, you can look at India where they got rid of all their small bills and they come the the prime completely, you know, trash the economy um, because they instituted new values of of their rupees or whatever it was, right? So you want to manipulate things, you manipulate the, the cash currency, you manipulate how much is rotating into the system, you manipulate what something is worth. So if you have $5,000 of debt at an, a specific interest rate and you have $5,000 in cash, what you thought was worth $5,000, if there was ever some type of devaluation, your 5000 could be 4000 could be 3000 and now you're at this deficit. I am not saying that that could happen. It might happen. I don't know. I think that particularly with this administration and with the back dealing and with everything that has been happening, um, we, you, you want to be mindful of that because our dollar is not backed by gold. It hasn't been backed by gold for a long time. Yeah, we're on a FIA system, which is why if you're paying attention to the markets, people are quietly buying gold, gold yes. nationals, gold shares. They're investing in commodities. Um, they're trying to control water. Um, yeah, it's all sorts of stuff. So, so should we be going to the bank, get our money out and put it in our under our mattress like what what should we be doing <laughs> um well not we like should, you know but i'm just right. saying, like i'm sure people are like what the heck i pay think we, you got to pay attention and and really even if you got your money and you put it under the mattress it's not going to necessarily help you right. um really it's we the rats that have taken over 1600 we have to collectively work to get them all out and even if there is a blessed change come November 3rd, understand that there has been so much installation of criminality all throughout the US bureaucracy that whoever gets into office is going to spend four years trying to clean it up. And no one ever wants to talk about how the fact Russia took over the US treasury in 2015. And there's a whole article series on Buzzfeed about that. And there's all these things that have been happening, which is also why I say I don't think a black woman needs to be the vice president because it's a setup. But that's another story for another day. Oh, okay, Rissy, why, why are you clapping? I'm pretty sure a lot of the people who are here watching, I see the names, would be hyped about that. Why do you? Why did you clap like that? Because I am super tired of. Okay, I'm go ahead and say this. Bill Biden gets a black VP. People are excited. This woman has skill set. She probably got more degrees in his ass. Hella smarter than him. I don't think the man um, is going to make it through the first term. I'm going to be honest with you. I, I don't think that, I think that he will get in, which will be good to get, you know, Rancid Fanta out. But then say at some point he decides I'm going to retire. Black woman comes in. She will clean up the whole thing. She will make the shit sparkle and shine. The, the U.S. will, like, the, if, she, if she's allowed to do her best work, she will put this place right back where it needs to be. And then when the time comes for re-election, she'll be told, mm, I don't think people are ready for a black woman president, even though they just had one. 
And I don't think she'll be appreciated in the way that she should. I personally am tired of black women. Black women are able to tell you this is not a good idea. Y'all didn't listen to us when we were like, do not vote for this man. He's crazy. So the idea that you would bring a black woman in to be your cleanup artist. Cleanup, right. That's because that's to me, that's what it feels like. You would be bringing her in for because you, and you're taking an, a really intelligent, amazing person out of circulation to bring her into a space where she may not be able to fully activate all of her skill set. Because let's be honest, like what, I mean, the vice president's role is basically, you know, he's the backup. Right. So if she ends up becoming president through this, this way, um, it's cute. I'm happy. We got a black woman president. That's fine. But the idea that when it's time to be reelected, that there could potentially be issue just because this country has proven that it cannot stomach for whatever reason, a, you know, comp competent people at the helm, it would just be a huge slap in the face. Yeah. And I think about, you know, the amount of aging these roles do to people, the way that people, you know, if you're going to take this on, what you will, what you are, what you are agreeing to is to basically be kind of the, the shield. Yeah. And I just don't want a black woman in that position, particularly at a time where this country has said time and time and time again, it does not give a shit about black women. Right. That right. we're only good that you only listen to black women after shit is all jacked up. We try to tell you not to do stuff because we know what's going to happen. You don't listen to us. You only want us to clean up. And I'm just, okay. there's a part of me that's very uncomfortable with a black woman coming into that space and being a cleanup woman. Yep, that's what I, my brain was saying. She's just the cleanup woman. That that's what she would be. Right, and, and like we have always been. Right, and here and here's the thing that I really want to hone in for people is that we have an election on November third. It's probably going to be contested, um, but there's a a transition period that also happens, right? And transitions are highly political. They are highly orchestrated. They are highly intense, and it requires the the current administration to um, really set up the incoming administration and laying things bare on the line. If we are able to have a shift in trans administrations, what do you think that the incoming, trans incoming transition team is coming into? They're going to come into shit. They're going to come into bodies. They're coming into lies. Um, anyone who takes the helm, they will not be able to um, have an agenda of improvement of in the United States. They will be stabilizing things. They will have to smoke out every single fucking rat that was input in the bureaucracy. And in 2016, when this started happening and I started looking at the secretarial appointments, I said, this man is placing people as federal agency secretaries who are going to dismantle and destabilize all of these agencies. The entire social agenda of the United States went outside of the window. If you look at what's going on with HHS, Health and Human Services, Housing and Urban Development, uh, EPA, USDA, um, Commerce, you look at all these agencies that deal with the social fabric of the United States and education, they've all been weakened to a point that is not even funny. And you mean to tell me that you want to put somebody in there who, and then they're, not only do they have to clean up the nonsense, 
you will be mad at them because they cannot uphold your social justice agenda because they're trying to keep this country from fucking drowning into a pit of hell Mm -hmm. because it is a setup when i tell you it's a setup it is a setup so the people who broke it let their counterparts come in and and plug the holes and then we got next Hmm. okay now what do you think about that that i was what do you think about kanye and his whole antics over the last since we're talking presidential situations here what what did you all think about him or not (laughs) someone just needs to swaddle him and you know give him a hug i think we need to stop with the excuse of his mama um rest her spirit you know part of this thing is we don't like to encourage people to take responsibility for how they show up in the world um americans in particular it is my viewpoint that we really have very interesting relationships with narcissistic codependency. Um, I wonder if we like being abused sometimes because of the things that we accept. Right. And, you you know, bless him, bless his spirit. I don't think you put energy into it and take it seriously because he has got some other things going on and he needs whatever support he's going to get. Yeah, I just, in, in the grand scheme of things, I saw it and I, went back to watching Indian matchmaking. (laughs) Um, hmm. So when the initial announcement came out, I posted some, I I don't remember where I posted, but I said, we need to treat this like the uncle at the cookout who always comes. He never brings anything. He leaves with two plates. And you know, if you start talking to him, he's going to start talking shit. So you just ignore him. That's really how I feel. Um, The antics around his appearance in wherever it was, South Carolina or whatever, some of the things that he's saying, the breakdown, like, I'm actually done having, I'm, this is going to sound terrible, but I have no sympathy for this man. I really don't. He has resources. If he wants to use them, he can use them. Yeah. You know, he has resources. It's just, what he reminds, he's a man child who's been coddled, you know, um, that whole love your, love your sons, raise your daughters thing. And he's been allowed to behave this way because he's, he can, you know, he can make some beats and he can rhyme a little. And so he keeps getting passes. Y'all still haven't forgiven Chrisette Michelle for singing at Trump's inauguration. This man said that slavery was a choice. This man went on a whole, you know, tangent selling Comic Sans, you know, in lettered sweatpants for $250 and nobody said anything. But a black woman sang at the inauguration and y'all still haven't let that woman live down, live that down. And so for me, I, Kanye is just, he irks, he irks the dog shit out of me. I really, I resent how he is allowed to, you know, do all of these antics. He has said across, you know, across time, he has said some really terrible things. He's misogynistic as hell. I don't think he cares or loves black women outside of his mama. And so my, for me, my thing is, why should I? Right. The danger though, is that there is this love of a spectacle, particularly when black people are kirking out, particularly when black men are losing their shit. The press loves this stuff. Yeah. And so it's 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 a hard thing to get around because he knows that it's him showing up at a at a rally and doing whatever, people are gonna come. You know? He apologized to some white person that he yelled at, but didn't apologize to the black woman that he yelled at. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so there are all of these things that as a black woman I'm watching, like, why are we giving this guy energy? Like right now, in the midst of all of the things that are happening. We are sitting here 
giving this guy energy? For what reason? Some people, I went to the rally just to laugh. That's not a good use of your time and your energy. That sends a really strong message to narcissistic idiot that this man is that no matter how ridiculous what I'm saying, these people will follow me. It's no different than when Trump said the nonsense about how you could shoot somebody on Fifth Avenue and he wouldn't get arrested. That mentality is dangerous. We've seen what it looks like. And here we are still giving this idiot like oxygen. Like I just want him to go get the help that he needs. And if he doesn't want it, fine, but just keep quiet because it's a distraction that we just don't need. We really don't. And for me, it's not even about the political aspect. It's just about this man has constantly disrespected the black community. Why do we keep giving him chances? Sometimes you just got to cut your losses and keep it pushing. Agree. And that's how I feel about it. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, now, what do you all think about the unemployment being canceled today? Like, I'm a gig worker. So as soon as, um, as soon as COVID started, well, as soon as the new year started, I was on a book tour and I was creating my business and it was just starting to get momentum. And then the week of when Rissy and I were supposed to be at the Kennedy yep. Center, they shut that shit down. And so here I was with 150 books in my trunk right? and everything halted. Um, so what do you, what are you all thinking about that? To me, I feel like these white men are making decisions on people that, well, they don't care. It, it's clear that they don't care, but it's just really interesting to listen to their language. We don't want to throw money at the problem. When they gave um, Kodak yesterday, like $758 million to start doing some medical testing or whatever. So, you know, do you all have any thoughts about that at all? The unemployment and whether you think it'll, they'll uh, reinstate it or whatever? Yeah. So hmm, where to start? This is a part of the criminal cabal that we're living in. Um, this is capitalism, right? God, they, so let's talk about minimum wage for a minute. These motherfuckers have always known that you need at least the the data suggests that in the united states there is nowhere that you can rent a two-bedroom apartment for a family of four uh for less than 22 dollars and 67 cents an hour working one full-time job that's what we call uh the the housing wage right and i'm talking places in arkansas and the deep south and place, you know that are not the coast on the right. coast, the average is $37 and some odd cents. DC, um, New York, California, okay? So they've always known that minimum wage has not ever been enough. And right. you know they know that because when they decided to give the extra $600 supplement, it was calculated on what? A minimum wage of 20 something dollars an hour. So they've known and they have always known they don't fucking care because capitalism requires low cost labor in order to maximize profits, okay? When you look at the economic curve, profit goes like this. This is your supply line, your demand line, and you wanna be above the little line over here to be making profit. What they don't tell you is that you're not always supposed to be at maximum profit because the system cannot maintain that. The structure cannot maintain that. So we manipulate the system in order to maximize profits all the time. And if the system of slavery has not taught us anything, it should teach us all that labor 
is the most expensive, but the easiest category to manipulate your profits because what do you do? You either make it free or you keep it at a below a certain point so people cannot have economic mobility, okay? And so they don't want people sitting at home actually having economic mobility because when you're not stressed out about money, when you're not stressed out about how you're gonna pay your bills, when you can actually afford to eat better, okay? When you can afford to think, then you're gonna start to question, well, what the fuck is this? Right, <laughs> true that. You know, how come I don't have a quality grocery store in my neighborhood? How come, you know, my kid is eating, you know, processed cheese for lunch? You know, how come I don't have health insurance? Or I have health insurance, but I still have a premium that if, unless I get sick, it's not going to happen. How come, how come, how come, how come? So when you look at the fact that our policy system is run by lobbyists and big money, Okay, this is not something that's governed by the people and people really start need to look at the, the Democrats in Congress because they have failed us. And I'll yeah. go on record and say that people like Pelosi, Pelosi, Pelosi. I'm like, Pelosi, where? Because all this legislation that why are we arguing about $1,200? They couldn't even get it out in time. So you ended the unemployment because you want to create a purposeful stress that forces people to go back into labor so they don't have get poor because we also have value and virtue signaling in this country about what it means to be poor, what it means to be impoverished. We don't talk about how scarcity is baked into the system and that there is a virtue signaling around the worst thing that you can be is poor. Not even a child molester or a pedophile gets treated as bad as somebody who is poor. So they don't want people to awaken and get clear about some things because if they do, this entire system, as it is doing, regardless of what they do, will come crashing and, and burning down. Let it burn. So you're talking about awakening, and a lot of people are awakening. So first, here's some of the comments. My cousin Brandon is like, um, they, they never really failed us because they were never constructed to help us begin. And um, the funniest comment that I saw, which was earlier, was Amina saying, look at my faves looking like whole self-actualized, powerful, magical snacks. <laughs> so, yes, the, the, it's not set up for us. And we're talking about awakening. And right. you're right. When people have an opportunity to sit with themselves, like what's happening now, eat better, maybe calm their parasympathetic nervous system down a little bit, then they start to question stuff. And so just like in Five Below, where I saw all of those spiritual things, it was a lot about manifesting. So you did a post about manifesting. What did you say? Because it was really interesting. Just you can explain it way better than me. What did I say? I think I, what, I said something about one day we're going to have a conversation about how uh, the new age version of manifestation has been weaponized mm -hmm. and is nothing but uh, prosperity gospel in new age or something along. Yes, those that's what you said. And I want to have you unpack that a little bit because as people are awakening, a lot of people are awakening um, and they are being bombarded with all these different things that are happening and it's painful. It's painful to awaken. You ever just wake up real fast and then you get a headache and then you don't feel good for a minute and you're off balance. That's what happens in real life. 
And there's a funny meme where this little baby girl is throwing up in the toilet and somebody's holding her hair. And then that's the, the, the person is like, that's me holding my friends who are just waking up holding their hair because they're, they're in the toilet. Like, this is some real shit right here. Right. So manifestation is, is like the new buzzword. Yeah. So, so I'm writing an essay about it. And there's a particular phrase that I'm using that I'm not going to say yet until I publish this essay. Yes. And essentially, if, if, you're, if all you're manifesting are tools of the current oppressive system, then you have to think about what framework and what lens you are coming from. My challenge with New Age spirituality, it is weaponized and it is dangerous because all white supremacists have done is left Christianity, which was highly structured, cast them in sin, cast them in stone, and went over to the extreme other side that says you can have everything that you want if you think hard enough. And if you don't have it, it's because you brought it onto yourself. You were sexually assaulted, you attracted that, you manifested that. And when I say weaponize, if, if you're calling yourself spiritual and you are not speaking to the socioeconomic conditions in which people have had their free will taken from them, if you are not speaking to the oppressive systems that have kept people from accessing their divinity on purpose, then you are an agent of the original demons. I, and we can fight on that. When, we're, when, when you are talking about manifestation and, and your only thing is about manifesting more money, more riches, more fame, more clout, um, along with this notion of you can have anything that you want, it becomes dangerous because what if what you want is not good for you or right. not in your, uh, for your highest good? Or if what you want takes something that belongs rightfully to somebody else, right? Money, you know, that's a whole other conversation about money and it's money has energy. No, money, the only energy money has is the energy that we give it. The minute yeah. that someone says that money has no value, it has no value. The universe gave us exchange as, as value, right? So if all you're talking about with manifesting is some tangible physical asset that you got in order to show it off, to show that you're good and that you're righteous, there's an opportunity for growth. The, the deeper teachings around manifestations are manifesting things for your highest good and manifesting things that are within your destiny, right? Yep. And, and being clear about what you ask for. So yeah, okay, you need to pay your bill, you need to call some money for what, for what you need, fine. And a level of mastery then is getting clear about how do I manifest a life that is aligned? How do I work on my alignment? So the things that I need to support my destiny have a, a pathway to come. So I'm not always panic manifesting money or panic manifesting being a millionaire or a billionaire and inadvertently or purposefully perpetuating the same paradigms and narratives and systems that we are trying to get out of. The law of attraction, all these universal laws, if it does not apply to everybody unambiguously, then you have to question where it comes from. And a lot of this doctrine around manifestation, uh, who wrote, um, was it Science of Mind? Was it Joseph Campbell? It was one of those authors, they were a marketer. They were a marketer who I think I read ended up dying broke. Okay, so 
you have to go deeper into where these teachings are coming from and who's teaching them and what for. We like money. We get attracted by money. We all want more of it. We need it because the system has said, you know, you need it to have some value for yourself. But when we start telling people, you don't have what you need because you don't, you, you brought it on yourself or you're poor because you want to be poor. You're weaponizing and you're not nuanced about it. It could be behavior, but you also have to look at the systemic conditioning that keeps things happening perpetually. And you also have to look at if you have been able to gather riches for yourself, whatever it is, who did you step on to get there? Did you do it in full integrity? And did you manifest fully what was yours to manifest? Because the imbalance is part of the problem. And that's that. So, Rissy, I want to ask you this because um, I learned a lot as far as uh, elevating my spirituality through some of the red tent classes and other things that you offered and other gatherings you offered. So if you, you know, Evelyn is talking about the, the notion of manifesting and just being careful on, you know, what your intentions are around those things and, and how you get it and what you're going to do with it. What are some tips that you can share to be able to trust your own divinity? Because I think a lot of people have been so brainwashed to trust something outside of themselves that in this awakening, they're also beginning to hear that they have the power right. and that they are powerful beings. So what are some of the tools that they can use? Or, like if they're brand new at this, just starting to awaken, even since COVID and met in March, what can they do? Um, so there's a couple things. One of the basic principles of my spiritual practice is the law of three. Whatever I put out comes back times three. Um, and that is a great way to balance out how you throw shit out in the world. People, we say things all the time. And a lot of us, our power is in, a, is it, it's in different modalities. Like my power is in talking. Like when I speak, things happen. And I understand now that that's my power. So part of what you do is you have to kind of set some ground rules. Um, people just come in this all willy-nilly burning sage and getting cards and, you know, wearing ox. And they don't understand that a lot of this stuff has meaning. And if you're not really clear about its meaning, you using sage or throwing around ox may or may not affect you in a way that's positive or negative. So part of what you do first is you set a guideline for how you will practice and how you will walk in the world. My guideline, my guiding principle is whatever I put out comes back times three. So whenever I have to make a decision, whether it's to be grimy or not be grimy or to be petty or not be petty, it's really about thinking, do I want this coming back to me times three? Yeah. And that helps me first and foremost, before I open my mouth or say something or do something, it keeps, it's a check and balance because the problem, um, you know, in, in the, especially what I, what I love about Evelyn is her mind is freaking amazing. But what she just said is really important because what has happened is the, um, the Puritanism and the, and the, the conservative aspect of church that says, you can't do this, you can't do that, you can't do this. People have now come to the so-called spiritual side and now they're wilding out. Because the, the idea is that, or the belief is that there are no rules. Right. And that's not true. There are rules. And one of the rules for me is, if you put it out there, some people believe it's time seven. I believe it's times three. The other piece is that when it comes to energy or magic or however you want to use that word, you cannot pull from something without it being replaced. When you take from something, 
that energy has to be replaced somewhere else. That's what the balance is. So if you pray for money and you're not specific, the money could come because you know, your son stole something and, so, and pawned it off because you needed to pay the electric bill or it could come because somebody died and you, you, you inherited something. So part of, the, part of it is you need guiding principles. Like just because you divest yourself of Jesus does not mean you should divest yourself of good sense and, you know, some clarifying markers. So, yeah. you know, having some ground rules around that. The other piece is really you have to decolonize <laughs> your spiritual practice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that and that is something that takes a lot of work because even if you are not particularly religious, if you grow up in this country, you are you have been bombarded with in, with an inherent sense of anti-blackness that you have to fight every day, regardless of who you are. Okay. So you have to understand that to be in America, to live in America, is to be is to be brainwashed into believing that black is negative, that black is ugly, that black is less than, that black is thief, laborer, all of these things. The, and it can never be more than that. And so when you decolonize your spiritual practice, what you have to do is be willing to see the divinity in yourself. And when you think about Western religion, the divinity doesn't show up looking like this. No. So one of the first things you have to do is believe that God, the goddess, the universe, spirit lives in you, that you are, you are an embodiment of that. And in when that part clicks, when that part makes sense, then what happens is you understand the power that you have. And then you have to decide how you're going to wield that power. You know, the society that we live in will say, those of us who look like this don't have any real power. So we have to snatch it. We have to fight it. We have to take it and all of these. And in my practice, I am God. So, right. <laughs> um, you know, how I roll, I have to be careful with my power. I have to be respectful of other people who are what, because everybody, if we all have divinity in us, then no one is better than the other. Right. right. And this system is based on a hierarchy that wants to say you are less than this, that, and the third. And so we have to be careful about that and be comfortable identifying the divinity that lives within us first. Because that's a very scary prospect. When you've grown up on Jesus, it's hard to see yourself in a space where you actually are of the divine. I mean, you know, even in the way that Christianity works, the women are treated like second-class citizens, even though everybody comes from a woman. Like they're, they're, they're not exalted in the same way, which doesn't make any sense to me, you know? Um, and so we have to first have some guiding principles. You have to decide what, what you, if, if, you're, if you're recalibrating your world and you're moving into a spiritual space, what, there are lots of systems that all lead back to one source. Yeah, that you can look to for guidance. But this idea that to be spiritual means you can just go out here and do whatever you want and there are no consequences, that is absolutely not true. There are rules to the system. This is a system. What you put in, you have to replace. You can't just be out here giving and giving and giving and not taking because the lack of reciprocity clogs up the energy chain. And so, you know, having that guiding principle being clear and being comfortable with decolonizing how you see divinity and what, who's allowed to be divine is part of it. Because if you can acknowledge that the divine rests in women and men, then it makes it harder for you to treat women the way we treat women. You know, the other piece is that if you are serious about whatever this path is, whatever you choose, you have to understand that some of the shit that you used to do, you can't do anymore. You can't really be about this spiritual life if you think it's okay to like drown cats or like yell at people or fire people cause you can or steal from people. Like you have to balance out your, 
your earth plane existence with whatever that spiritual aspiration is. Because, you know, there are movies and all this other stuff that are out there and people are excited because, you know, now we have, you know, all of these great images around witchcraft and spirituality, but they don't understand. This is a really serious business. You can't just be out here willy-nilly doing all kinds of things. And the other piece about this is that you have to understand that each person walks with their own set of people. Right. So when you come out of your mouth or you try to do strangeness to folks, you don't know who their people are. And you don't know how their people are going to respond to some of the behavior that you're responding to, which is why for me, the law of three is a very helpful way to, to keep, you know, my anger or my irritation in check. Because before I launch something out there, my question is, do I want that coming back to me? And the other part of that question is, who are their people? Because if their people are not for the nonsense, then they, you know, there's a lot that I have to deal with on top of that. Yeah. And I've seen what happens when people go after folks or, you know, are flippant or, or disrespectful with people who, you know, are walking on that higher plane, what comes back for them is not cute. So I think you have to decide, you, can, you can't treat spiritual like a clatch-all. And I think what Evelyn is saying is part of that weaponization is, the, is, 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 this, is this idea that you as a white person can go to whatever, you know, faraway land, learn from this brown person or this black person, come back with that knowledge, repackage it into some sort of marketing scheme and sell it to people where you basically are not giving them the full set of tools. You can't tell someone that you're responsible for everything that's happened to you and not give them the tools to understand that, no, you're actually not in this alone. There's a whole energetic system that you can access to help you through this. So now you're sitting here blaming yourself for all of these things and it's creating more it's, it's just creating more of a, of a, of a cycle of, 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 of lack. And you, before you know it, you, you got all the beads and you, 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 you know, you got all the tools and you got the look and all of this, but you still mad. Right. Right. When I do my classes, I teach people to, if they want to incorporate a lot of the um, additional, like the crystals and the sage and all that, if they want to incorporate all those things, that's fine, but get to know your own technology first because you are the technology. Right. Oh my goodness, my phone is ringing. <laughs> it's a cosign. <laughs> yeah, use your own technology. You are the original technology. I love so, it. What I wanted to ask, um, Rissy, is that what, but what about those, especially African-American women mm -hmm. who are tapping into African, you know, center religion. To talk to you. <laughs> Sorry, that's the front desk. Sorry, there must be a package or something. Um, um, rest, child. So what about African-American women, mm -hmm. you know, who have been here for generations who are now, like you said, attempting to decolonize their spirituality because there's lots of comments here. We got Dana, Christina Joy Morgan, who says, wow, you have to decolonize your spiritual experience. And then Adama says, God is twice removed for her in the Western concept. Mm. Um, and so, and then uh, Isa says, I feel like what she is saying is exactly what happened with yoga in the West. We forgot mm. that yoga is a part of a whole belief system. Yep. She's so my sister Cher actually is a yogi and she centers the original what we know is the original because there's also kemetic and there's right. you know what we know as the um the eastern religion right. of the the practice right so 
she's very clear on that. But a lot of times, you know, you just don't see that. So for the the African-American woman who's been here, who is now like, oh, I don't go to church anymore. I'm going to yoga on Sundays, mm -hmm. right? And they see the blonde hair lady in there because they don't know any different. Right. What can you share with us who are just starting to delve into or want to um, learn more about African principles and you and Evelyn share about African-centered religions and some of the deities because, you know, like Beyonce is... Are, are y'all watching her Black is King on Friday with no. this whole, I know. <laughs> I know, with her, you know, like I think that is what some people's concept of her beehive are now being open to African spirituality through her. Mm -hmm. So what can you share to help ground that and to help give people the opportunity to do it in a more impactful and authentic way? So the first thing I will say is Africa is still not a country. And so we have to, the right, we have to be specific about what we're talking about. You know, there, Ifa is a tradition that is, that is well known within the, within the Nigerian space. And from that, you get Santeria and Lukumi, um, you have Palo, you have Voodoo, you have all kinds of systems that have, were created uh, by Black people. Mm -hmm. um, we live in, the, in an age where for the first time in human history, we have access to information in something as small as a phone. Sure. We can actually research all of the things that we want to know in terms of trying to understand these systems. And it's not a quick fix, right? So part of the, you know, part, I am Nigerian American. I'm first generation American. Um, Ifa is something that I have explored. It is not something that I have necessarily initiated into, but it is something that I have explored. Um, and what I have found across the board when we talk about these systems is there's two things that we need to be mindful of. These systems are very old and they're very nuanced. And oftentimes, like with any system, you have to be careful of the people that teach or come through these systems. Still human beings. The human beings that are still human. Um, and that, you know, what practicing Ifa looks like in Nigeria, in, 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 you know, a specific part, may be different than what happens in Philadelphia. So you have to put it in context around who is transmitting this information and what that looks like to you. It's still a system, though. You can divest of Jesus and go somewhere else for sure. But, you know, when you leave the church and you decide to go to Santeria or you leave the church and you decide to go to Voodoo, you are still going to be part of a system. There are practices, there are rules, there are guidelines. Yep. You know, they, they are, yes, different. And the practitioners hopefully are, are, are black and look like you, but you are still, there are still expectations and rules in terms of how things should go. Like you don't lose that there, otherwise it'd be chaos. You do have to have a certain set of guidelines that everybody's sort of going by, but there are nuances. And I think that um, it's a tricky fish because I haven't read all the books, but I think what you do, what I have learned for me is honing in on that um, intuition yep. and your instinct, that gut instinct, that's what yep. you use to drive your journey. Yeah. So if you are, if you are just, I'm tired of Jesus, I don't want to do this anymore, or even I'm tired of Allah, I don't want to be Muslim anymore, and you decide that you want to go and, and, and look at other places and other things, that is absolutely fine. But if you don't have an internal compass that can at least warn you when things are not right, even if you don't know why, you can be taken advantage of. There are a lot of communities, and I'm gonna go ahead and say this, it's probably gonna piss some people off, but there are a lot of communities who are practicing African traditions 
And these folks are taking people's money. They're preying on people who are, who are desperate for something different. They're taking advantage of that desperation and basically enslaving folks into a whole nother system that's not serving them. So you have to hone your own internal understanding of yourself. Everyone has a place in their body where when somebody's lying, you feel it. Yeah. So part of what you do for me is really about, before you begin to sort of put yourself out there, I'm interested in some interest in that, do your research check in with yourself like play around like do i do an intuition game where take a day put your mask on and go outside and talk to spirit and say like you know what i want to go on adventure take me through like i'm gonna trust you i'm gonna let you guide me and wherever you feel like you must go make a right make a left like don't use your map just go and see where you end up because the the, the practice itself is about wonderment it's about not thinking you know every damn thing, but it's all, and it's also about taking joy in those small moments that happen when you really pay attention. So regardless of the practice, if you are not secure in your internal compass, this is how people get hemmed up. And I've seen examples of this where people are like, mm, I don't mess with that EFA stuff because da 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 da. Like, I get it, you didn't have good teachers. But when I met the person that you're talking about, I could have told you that they were off. Look at the way they keep their house. That should have been a sign to you that they're off. So you can't give up the parts of yourself that you that that have um, that you that you've honed in terms of your internal compass just because you've divested of Jesus. And I think that for me is the biggest like message I would love to put out there. You're shifting your mindset. It's it's a shift. It's a transition. It is not something that can happen like this. And it's something that requires you to be cognizant of all of, you gotta be observant. You can't just be out here jumping into something just cause it looks pretty. Right. A, you know, this whole idea around the performative aesthetic is what gets people in trouble. You know, you see that person with the beads and the ankh and the bindis and all of this stuff and the henna, you're like, oh, she's spiritual. She might not be spiritual. I can tell you some of these Instagram witches gonna get y'all killed, but that's another conversation. For but it's people. true, you know, the aesthetics are, are taking, they're taking too much of a lead. Because the real, the real work, the real spiritual work is not, is not pretty. Yeah. It's not pretty. When you have to sit there with you and your God and yourself and your shadow self and y'all all looking at each other, it's not nose tear crying. It's, you know, I need to cut my hair off. It's, oh my God, I, I, you know, I got to go sit in this bath and, and deal with myself. It's not pretty. And the problem is that we're so caught up in the aesthetics of what we think is happening that we don't understand. Adama Grace said something that was one of the most powerful things I ever heard, um, and I will never forget it because it really changed how I thought about Christianity. She said, I am not a Christian, I'm a follower of Christ. And when you take Christ out of the construct of Christianity as it's been presented, it's a completely different understanding. Yeah. Because Christianity, what people are practicing is imperialistic Christianity. It's the Christianity that was used to oppress oppress, suppress, and abdicate people of their power. Um, It's not the Coptic Christianity or there's a book called, um, I forget, it was written by two women, but it basically talks about what Christianity was before uh, Bloody Friday and how women were actually very revered in Christianity and all the balance and everything like that. If I find the book, if I find my phone, I'll say it out loud. And the reality is for whatever, any tradition that you go to, particularly with African belief systems, they are religions. 
it's, as Rissy said, it's a system. You're not going from, you know, lockdown to free willing. There are, there's levels to this shit. There's rules to this shit. And the best thing that anyone can do, and I'll speak for my own journey because I literally lived in Asia on and off for three years. And I did not realize it until after the fact, but I was going through an initiation of my own where I literally spent three years challenging every fucking belief that I had to see what is it that do I actually believe? I understand this system. I understand that system. I looked at, you know, Buddhism, which is not a religion, but a, 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 a way of life, a practice. I've looked at this. I've looked at that. Am I, you know, I'm Ghanaian American, first generation. Am I called to initiate into something? My guys are very clear. This lifetime, you're not initiating into anything because you're here to be at communion and be at one. You're not here to be in any religion, in any system. I'm like, oh, but... <laughs> Um, same here you know but they were very clear and in order that I call it you know doing your inner liberation work and I'm working on a journal about that but you having to go within and figure out what is my heart saying who am I in connection with my creator and I am and do I have attunement and from there when you understand where your boundaries end and other people's boundaries begin. When you get to that point is when you can start to say, okay, spirit, show me what direction I need to go uh, for my belief system. Because some people do very well with religion. Mm -hmm. Some people do very well with belief systems. But part of that is you have to know what your sole mission is for this lifetime and what you came here to do and how you came here to do it. Your sole mission may be, I need to be a devotee of Christ. And I need to, um, everything is about embodiment. So I need to embody what it looks like to be a full and fully devoted to Christ and showing people what a Christ walk looks like. I need to be fully devoted to a practice of, of, of chanting and meditation to show people how to come to oneness. I need to be a devotee of what it looks like to go back to where you, your journey of going home. You know, I'm a yogi. I have a 200 hour. I went to Thailand and I did a dual program uh, with a Thai teacher and an Indian teacher. And I'm going to tell you, uh, people getting shorted in the West, you know, know, because there are so, there was so much depth and I was very purposeful. And when I went to go do this training, where I was not going to, outside of uh, Dana with Spiritual Essence Yoga, that, you know, and I was very particular about studying with her. I said, when I do the larger training, if I can't do it with Dana, I'm going to the source. Um, because there is a lot of nuance that we miss. Because English, English is not a complete language. There right. is so much nuance that we miss when you get into learning about systems in the native language. There's so much context, so much richness in, in, in the beauty um, of understanding the mother tongue, right? Uh, which is why, you know, a lot of us first generations, we, have, we struggle a little bit with identity because when you came here in the 70s and 80s and the 60s, it was about acculturation. They purposely said, don't let your kids speak the language at home because they're going to get confused, make them speak English. Well, that creates separation. So, you know, and then going back to your original question, uh, you know, what do, where does an African-American woman start? You come home to yourself. And that's going to be true for everybody. Right. You come home to yourself. You come home to your relationship 
with the creator of your understanding. Um, I'm very specific about that phrase. Right. And from there, when you know where you end and other people begin and vice versa, you can rest assured that whatever journey you're guided to go on, it is the journey that is here to, for you to uphold your soul's mission because ain't no one got time to be coming back to this earth 300 times to get the lesson. Right. Uh, Isa is saying, speak on her life. <laughs> and Amina is saying uh, she feels the same about her life. The people keep trying to enroll her and she ain't accepted the call yet. And I agree because it's the same for me. Like I left the certain spiritual system and then I had to figure out who I was. And that compass started to attune, like it started to align and I could start to feel in my belly and in my gut. My gut always spoke to me. I just didn't listen. I would be balled up on the floor, but I would still be trying to do whatever. So once I stopped that and my trip to Asia, it was just two weeks. I just decided to go on Monday. On Friday, I was on a plane. Uh, Evelyn introduced me to some people, but other outside of me hanging with those people for a few days, I was on my own. And I got plane tickets based on what I felt like that specific day. And it helped me to trust myself because I had always given my power away for decades. Mm -hmm. And so that's the problem with a lot of these religions is that they force you to outsource your instincts. Yeah. Because they have this book that says, okay, you do all of these things and this is how you do it. This is what you say when you do it. And this is how it's done. And you keep doing it. And so there isn't a way for you to actually ask yourself, do what do I believe? So that journey is about, you know, reclaiming, you know, it's like, this is why COVID is amazing. When you think about how much we outsource in terms of our, of our food being cooked, in terms of our hair getting done, in terms of our clothes being washed or whatever it is that you're doing, you are now being forced to re, some of us have reacquainted ourselves with, our, you know, our own manicures and looking at our hands and we're doing our own hair and we're doing our own feet and we're reacquainting ourselves with our bodies in a way that we haven't done because it wasn't safe to do otherwise. Yeah. But that's the whole point, I think, of a spiritual practice is that you reacquaint yourself with your spirit and you tune into the creator of your understanding. Because otherwise, it's just outsourcing. Yeah. Somebody says, do this. I mean, I literally have had, I had a student once who her father died. Well, he was in Trinidad. Her father died and she was very close to her father. Her father died. She had to take two weeks off to go home to bury him. When she came back, she was distraught. And I asked her, I said, you know, and I normally try not to read people at school because it's just like, you know, I'm already the hippie weird chick anyway, but it's a bit right. much. And so she, after class, she was very upset because she could not figure out why she couldn't get over it. I was like, your father just died like two weeks, three weeks ago. And she's like, da, 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 da. And her father came through and I was like, look, I'm not trying to scare you, but your father says, just talk to him. And she was like, how do you know? I was like, don't ask me how I know, just talk to him. Just have a conversation with him. He's with you. A week and a half later, she disappears for a week and a half. She comes back and she comes back with a gift. And she just says, I want to thank you. You were the first person who actually, her people had had her to believe that her father was dead and that was it. And that she should let, let it go. Like it sucks, it's sad, but move on. And she had no way of working through all of this stuff because no one gave her permission to. And me simply saying, just go talk to your father light a candle, put his picture up, put a cup of water, and just talk to him when you feel like it. She felt so much better. The idea that you need permission to commune with your ancestors, 
that thing hurt my feelings because she really was beating herself up because she couldn't figure out a way to get over it because the religion or the practices they were part of it was like people die it's just part of life get over it right I'm like come on right. so we have to part of this this practice is about we got to stop outsourcing these things we got to trust our instincts and we have to be okay with the noise because the noise is is part of the process you know you have to figure out okay it's like you're fine-tuning the radio station to figure out what signal is yours and people don't like noise so they just don't turn the radio on you know and now we're saying turn the radio on get through that static and figure out which what station is your station right. and go from there right it's interesting i think the earlier you learn this the better Absolutely. And um, so I'm, so the Sankofa Homeschool uh, Collective, I'm teaching a class in the fall about you being the original technology because mm -hmm. those students are netizens. They are citizens of the net. They were born with the internet and they have given all of their power into this little, in, into this phone, right. or into this box, into this technology. So what I'm teaching them is what I learned late, but I learned it. Mm -hmm. I learned in my time. I'm not going to say late. I learned right. in my time that I have my own guidance system, my own GPS system. All of my senses are here. And when I can tune into them and tap into them, they will take me where I'm supposed to go, regardless of the noise. Right. And so I've been practicing that over the years and it has served me well. Now it has been scary. Yes. There has been some snotty moments. There has been some cut off the hair moments, but it all lends to me having peace Right. And being in the right, going in the right direction. So I'm excited about that opportunity to share with those kids. They, they, we're going to start them at 11 nice. because the earlier, you know, that even if it's just a seed plant and they not pay any, any attention, there's going to be something that they're going to remember maybe when it's time to go to college or whatever. Mm -hmm. So I'm grateful for that opportunity. And uh, the re the reality is, is that you know, we we're hustling backwards, even when it comes back to the manifestation thing, because oftentimes we're asking for things and praying for things, um, trying to get things because we're acting in a deficit. We are acting out of, I don't have it and I need it. And I think what's been evident in, in my own life or what I have noticed is that when I get into some sort of alignment, even if it's five minutes or whatever, that I can actually ask for what I need from a truly functional place. And ab ab I recently came to this understanding that abundance is not accumulated, it's lit. Mm -hmm. And there's this shift in perspective that happens then where now I'm not out here, you know, praying for things to fill me up or to fill some gap that I think I have, but really aligning to, okay, what is my soul's mission? What did I come here to do? And what are the resources and the tools that I need to get that done and to also enjoy this life and to have some level of embodiment um, and, 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 and to really have that abundance and prosperity that comes through alignment and not through this sense of manifesting in the deficit. It's right. like, what does it look like to manifest for your highest good rather than manifesting from the deficit in a system called capitalism, which is rooted in scarcity. Mm -hmm. You show me someone who has accumulated a lot of money, I'm gonna show you somebody who is driven by scarcity. Um, it's not a virtue to have a whole bunch of wealth. There's nothing wrong with it, but 
when someone gets a lot of wealth, what's the number one thing that they're focused on? Not losing it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. So we have a lot of, so Rose Quartz Teresi is saying that you had a similar talk with her after her mom died and that helped. So yeah. she wanted to thank you for that. Hey, Sophie. And then Chacha Dominguez says she's uncovering, I'm uncovering me and my journey of faith. I have had a lot of religious foundation, AKA dogma. And now I'm looking at creator God through her eyes and through what moves her spirit and letting go of what the pastor says, because now she's seeing what the pastor said is based on his experience. And that's true. Like everybody comes from a different lens. Everybody has a different experience. And so I'm, I've been very clear because when I was in my other spiritual system, they were very, um, it was black and white. You either with this or you're going to die. Right. You're going to burn. And so I had to like remove myself from that mindset of judging other people for what they're doing. No, if that works for you, then that works for you. But like uh, Evelyn said, being clear on where I begin and where another person and where I end and where another person begins and just letting that be because everybody's on their own path. Everybody's awakening at a different time. And I, I laughed with Rissy a few times before. It was like, I, I had no clue. I just come to the red tent and Rissy had the sage going and all these different things and they pulling cards and whatever. And I was like, I don't understand this. I was taught it was wrong. So mm -hmm. I removed myself from the situation. And, you know, I was like, well, she didn't side eye me. She still accepted me when I came the next time. And when I came the next time and when I came to her house, like I was interested in learning. And once I realized that I wasn't going to hell, <laughs> I was, you know, participating, then I realized that that was okay for me. But honestly, I didn't even say anything for two years. I went on my own the beginning of my awakening for two years without even telling my best friend who was my sister. Mm -hmm. and, and it was so painful and it was so lonely and it was me unlearning all these things and then being pissed off and then also feeling sorry for like my grandparents because mm -hmm. my grandmother she would strangle me in all these things like I couldn't do half the things that I wanted to do because my grandmother said whatever and, and though she was very loving and everything I felt bad that she lived her life so so restricted, I'm pretty sure there were things that she wanted to do, but she couldn't because the church said that it was not right. Mm -hmm. So, you know, everybody's on their own. And just so everybody who's watching this and whoever watches it later, it's not to, you know, demonize anybody's situation. Like Evelyn, this is not my lifetime to be in any system because I definitely felt like I was interested in some, but my gut was like, not, not right now or not, you know, this, this is not for you. Your job now is to tune in yourself because I threw myself away for so many years. It was time for me to embrace myself and to really understand what worked for me. Right. right. I mean, the greatest healing, particularly for what's going on now with, with the, the people who identify as black, the collective of black people, the, the, the greatest healing and shift to white supremacy um, I hold and I believe and, and what I've seen is when we shift the lens that from which we view ourselves from one of viewing ourselves from the oppressor's lens mm -hmm. um, to one of viewing ourselves through the, the lens of the, the creator. When you, when you view yourself through the lens of that which made you, yeah. a lot of stuff, I don't want to say it becomes not relevant, 
but it, a lot of stuff just don't hit the same. Right. Absolutely. And so if, if, if you want a, a pinpoint for where to start your journey, be honest about the lens through, through which you're viewing yourself. I had uh, one of my travel friends that I met in Thailand um, passed away a couple of months ago. Uh, black woman and you know I'm, I, I'm pretty sure she went out in her own way and I remember her, you know I was you know doing my virtual you know ethereal goodbyes or whatever and she came rolling through in spirit and she was just like you are a beautiful beautiful soul and I just want to let you know to always remind you to you know you have to view yourself through the lens of God that mm -hmm. those are her direct words to me you know, right. you don't have to struggle the way that you struggle with things when you view yourself through the lens of God all things become peace. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I've, I've sat with that and that created a shift. Well, you just blessed me because that was, that's been my lesson for the last two weeks. Every morning when I wake up, I have to, like all the craziness that's going on, I always have to center myself into my God self. And like, you know, that is what is that when I'm in my God self, I'm closest to peace and I'm closest to my real self and the outside noise, you know, is diminished. And then I'm able to connect and do the things that I need to do. So it's only been two weeks, that specific thing that you're talking about. So that's just a confirmation for me. Right. And then I guess it's for other people too. Isa saying, man, I didn't know how much I needed this today. Thank uh -huh. you. Yeah. And, and this is how you do your activism. This is, yeah. this is the space and the lens from which you want to change systems and do your activism yeah. from, from a centered whole being place, not from your wounded self, from your wise self. Right. And, and even for me, the shift comes in me not saying white supremacy. I say white insecurity. That even feels better for me because it's so insecure that they act like, that's why they act like that and act so crazy because they're insecure. There's nothing supreme about people who behave the way that they do. Mm -hmm. So even for me, that has been a great shift. Now, this is Amina. She's saying she's making it rain for y'all. So this is for everybody. I have seen so many hearts and thumbs up and love. You know, if you've been a, a part of the Sanctuary Radio Show, at least the summer school session, you know that we always want you to reciprocate. Um, you know, if you've gotten anything out of it, I have put um, uh, Evelyn and, and Kat's cash app right in here. Please, please send something to them, whatever it is that you would like, but please send, send them something because I know that it has blessed many of you just from the, uh, the comments in the show. I see 97 hearts and likes. So hearts are nice, but hearts don't get Starbucks. And hearts don't, don't pay for anything else. So please just consider it. And then I need hair grease. <laughs> yeah, girl, a little shea butter. You know, I restore my little edges with my rosemary oil. Damn. Yeah. So please, it's all right here in the in the um in the thing. Rissy's is the dollar sign little so so and Evelyn. Oh, little so so cash. I'm sorry, I messed that up. Oh, so little so so cash. My bad. Okay? And yep. then Evelyn's is Evie Mystic Genius. So and then mine is Wendy Thirty. The dollar yes. sign Wendy W I three zero. So I, you know, we appreciate it. And then also thanks to Rissy, it was more confirmation. This whole situation has been, this whole uh, episode and producing it and putting it together has been a blessing because everybody keeps saying, get on Patreon. So I finally got on Patreon. So I am Awaken and Heal on Patreon. And so we're gonna step into this uh, Awaken and Heal revolution on Patreon. And so that's where we are going to have the second part of this conversation, just a few more minutes 
on the Karen situation. Cause we were, I was awakened to some bullshit on this whole Karen situation. Where people are feeling like they own the rights to Karen-ism. Mm. And I say, you can have it. That I would have saved $15,000 on a lawyer getting out of jail on them Karens. And the Miss, the Miss Ann situation, my mother used to call bougie ass chicks Miss Ann from when I was one in 1971. So it's unfortunate that people, um, you know, we think we always got to worry about the Karens, but sometimes the quiches be trying to come at you too. So you always like trying to, you know, bob and weave and I don't have time for it. I was in the woods. That's where I stay. I stay in the woods. I just happened to come out the woods and saw the bullshit. So I was just like, I, I can't deal. So we will have that conversation on Patreon. Can and I my come Patreon, to the woods? Would you say, Evelyn? Can I come to the woods too? Yeah, girl, come to the woods. I'll be in there every day, every day. So thank oh, you. This was, this was delightful. I totally it was. Thank you. And so what Amina, what Amina said, and this is what I want to end with, and then we'll stay on and have our conversation. If you want to join on Patreon, you can. I have an inaugural um, level. Um, and it's going to be able to, you'll be able to see the rest of the video and talk about the Karen situation. And then I also have another level where you can get a book and I'll sign it and send it to you. Rissy told me that I did it in a few, like an hour and figured it out. And so here we go. Let's do it. And um, the last thing that Amina said was, I need this to be a live forum, a panel. She mm -hmm. needs more. She has so many things to say. Oh my God, this was so rich. She Peep game. It. Amina needs to be on the panel. Right. Amina. So. Adama too. Yes. Mm -hmm. Amina Adama. There you go. Boom, boom. The I'll eight. moderate and y'all can go for it because I love it. So we will, we will figure that out if you guys want to. <laughs> I'm but down. thank you all for joining us here on Facebook Live. We're going to end this. We're gonna stay on ladies for a few. And yeah. thank you again. This is the uh, Sanctuary Radio Show Summer School. Uh, we still have a few more episodes coming up. We're gonna have How to Grow Your Own Food. Ooh. Next week is gonna be really cool. We're, we're talking to Manifest Ra and Emmanuel Taylor about healing for men. Oh wow. Because it's always the women we're always talking about how we can support ourselves. We used to be in the red tent from back in the day. So, but the brothers are healing too. And there are some brothers who never even considered that they needed this healing. So I'll have them on. And then I'm also going to have on Sydney and crew, my daughter, who's Yay. a 17 year old rising senior. I'm going to have her on with some of my other family members who are either going into college as a freshman this year, or, or, or who are class of 2020, and then my daughter who's class of 2021, and have them talk about how they are managing the emotions of not having this rite of passage that we call high school graduation, prom, uh, basketball, football games, and what does it look like, how they get their information, TikTok, mm -hmm. and how they are doing their, their um, part in the revolution. Uh, so that's going to be in a few weeks too. So please stay tuned for the Sanctuary Radio Show. Catch any of the 60 episodes live on wendycherry.com forward slash radio show. And I will see you in the next, next time in the sanctuary. Peace. Hi, thank you, Wendy. Bye. Thank you, Wendy. Okay. Woo, thank you, y'all. Okay, can I run to the restroom? Yes. Please. I'm closing the recording. All right, everybody, we are back. Um, this is specifically for the Patreon members. 
brand new at this, so I'm just winging it as we go. But we were going to be talking about, from Miss Anne to Karen, the uh, evolution of the violence of white women. And it came to me because at the hands of white women, I have suffered greatly. And I'm a young person. And it has and it started very early on, you know, in my years, being in second grade, being the only little black Girl Scout or Brownie, and them talking shit to me there. And then it just being normalized and then just, you know, taking it and then being in the professional world where it was, I had no idea what I was up against. I did not know how um, ingrained it was, probably until recently. I just knew I was experiencing it. And then, so th so that's the like the Miss Anne to the Karens. There's been many iterations over the over the centuries. But for me, when I was little, the first time I ever heard of the Miss Anne term was I'm in the car with my mom, and we were leaving a family member's house who we called aunt and uncle. Mm -hmm. So my mom gets, we, we're in the car and I'm little, I might be five. And my mom saying, Miss Ann something. And I said, mommy, that's not Miss Ann. That's aunt, what you call it? Mm -hmm. And she says, no. So then she goes on and breaks down what this Miss Ann uh, character is. Mm -hmm. And in her opinion, it was somebody who was bougie, right? <laughs> and she was just like, when, so then Roots comes on. I'm in kindergarten when Roots comes on. I watched every episode as a kindergartner. And so when we got to the, the, um, the, the white girl, if any of you have seen Roots and you get to the white girl where the Leslie Uggams Kizzy character grew up with this white girl as her plaything and as her friend, but as they got older, the white lady forgot about her. And there was a scene where she turns around and spits in her water. Now I'm in kindergarten. I remember this, I was hyped, like she spit in the water. And my mom was just like, cause that's the Miss Ann. She became her master. She became the slave master. She will turn on you in a minute. Mm -hmm. They turn on you in a minute based on whatever situation you are in. So I grew up with that notion. And then as I'm getting older, you know, the Karen's the, the Karen iteration is the, the current the current iteration of the same woman. And so I wanted to have the conversation because it was traumatic to me. And I understand like I, I don't watch it too much because I don't watch a lot of craziness online, but I see the Karen's going wild. Um them ladies acting crazy, but now they getting slapped up. <laughs> like I saw one girl. She, they threw her ass on the belt at the at the airport, and yeah. her and her boyfriend didn't do anything because I think he was afraid. And I feel like sometimes I feel so enraged that I wish that I had done that. Because mm -hmm. I, you know, even in my recent the last three years, four years ago, I was in that situation where I could have fist fought, you know. And so I feel like. It's liberating. Like I smirk when I see those. I don't necessarily like violence, but I feel like that's what they get mm -hmm. a lot of times. And they're so gangster with it. And I think that um, I saw a few posts where this lady was like, okay, these ends are getting out of hand. It's time to snatch them back. Mm -hmm. But uh, you know, it's like one of those things where it was all good when it was serving you. Right. Now when people are standing in their power, it doesn't serve you anymore. And they try to act like they don't know. Even the white people that I have on my on my feed who's supposed to be so down, um, they're having a different experience of me now. Right. And it's like, a, and I'm unapologetic about it. And I'm just like, 
but if I would have just stayed what you thought or even how I acted before, then you would have been okay. So I wanted to take get your takes on the current iteration and if, when, or how it has affected you in your lives. And then we go to how can we mitigate the damage and help ourselves navigate it? Because really it's about getting a tool mm. to help us to feel better. Um, so I've had Karens in my life. Um, and I think, so let me take a step back. I think that there's a conversation to be had about how white women are able to weaponize the fact that they're white women. And I think that when we see in this current situation, we see more and more of them doing whatever. Um, I can honestly say like right now, currently in my life, I don't have to deal with that. Um, and I'm thankful. Like I'm thankful that I don't, because I'll go to jail. I'm not even gonna lie. I, I would get arrested. Um, I'm not, I'm not one for like, I'm not a, I'm not one for public humiliation. And I'm definitely not one for people threatening my life. Um, and I'm not afraid to die. So it's like, if something pops off, then it pops off. Um, and I say all that to say that not everybody has that luxury. So when I think about Christian Cooper, the, um, the bird watcher, yeah. watching that white woman go from, you know, I'm going, you know, sticking your finger in the face, you know, da, 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 to I'm calling the cops and I'm going to tell them that this to I'm hysterical. Like watching that video was a, a huge lesson, I think, across the board. Yeah. The way that society and history has allowed for white womanhood to operate um, both as sort of a, a bomb and a bullet has been a big part of this problem. We tend to sit up here and assume because that they're because they're female, because they're women, that they have this gentle space to them. But what right. you find is that oftentimes, particularly during enslavement, yep. they were probably more dangerous than the men. Yeah, they were. They owned a lot of they owned a lot yeah. of they were probably more dangerous than the men. And we overlook it because they're women. But the yeah. way that they're able to rally the troops, the way that rape can be used very sort of haphazardly just because I don't feel like dealing with you today, the notion of 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 my white womanness having so much power that I can destroy you at a simple all I gotta do is do one little teardrop or make one little comment and I know these white men will run and destroy you. When you see that play itself out in the Karens of today, what I find fascinating is when you look at the comments, people want to justify and make, you know, oh well da, da, da. I'm like, let me be clear. These white women understand the inherent power that they have. They understand it. And you can see it in those clips where I'm calling the police. They know exactly what the police will do if the police come. The bird watcher thing bothered me on so many levels, but primarily it bothered me that if the cops had followed up on her hysterics, it would not have only been Christian Cooper who would have been possibly damaged and destroyed in this process, but all the black men leading up to finding him. Yeah. Because all these black men in the park would have fit the description. Yeah. And so part of the problem with this weaponization is that it's a full on blast. It kills, it, it destroys everyone in its vicinity. It's not like it's a targeted thing, you know, because we all look alike according to the law enforcement. If somebody is threatening you and you as a white woman say this person is threatening me, all the people that could potentially be you become, become part of this, this, this suite. And so my corporate experience has been with Karens, but not in that hysterical way. It's yeah. the manipulation. It's the, you know, 
you have to play around with, you know, language and it's the comments and the side eyes. And honestly, because of the way I'm built, a lot of this shit doesn't phase me. You know what I'm saying? So I was kind of, I was the one that was like, yeah, let's go. You want to try it? Let's try it. You know, I was the one forcing, you know, I was the one, you know, taking HR to task because they were policing black women's bodies when it came to dress codes. You know, I was the one asking very particular questions like if she has a master's and this little white girl has a high school diploma, why is this white girl in, in charge of her? And because I had a master's, because I had an education, I had a way of going. I was able to say some things, I think, sometimes that they weren't ready for. So there's an audacity that I walk with anyway that's just already, you know, I'm not good with authority figures. But the way that they tried to operate was always in this space of I'm above this, this pretending like. I'm above all of this. What I'm seeing and what I'm saying is true because as a white woman, I've said it. Doesn't matter if it's a lie, doesn't matter if if it if it actually if we can prove it, but the fact that I said it. Like so I think the most egregious thing was being called into the HR department one day because a woman complained about my perfume. I wore oils. And this yes, and I was and so the HR person comes and this white woman, she's like, Rissy, I just feel terrible about this. I was like, just spit it out. What's the problem? We've had a complaint about what? About your perfume. I don't wear perfume, so I don't know what you're talking about. Well, whatever it is that you're wearing, it's making a particular person in the office not, you know, they, they feel sick. I was like, oh, really? Now, I've been wearing this for a minute. No one has ever had a problem with it. All of a sudden, it's a problem. I feel terrible, Rissy, you know, da 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 I was like, well, you know, what I don't understand is how I'm being singled out. Right. The the dude who ran the mailroom was a brother, and he would his cologne. You could smell his cologne before you saw him. Right. The guy that I ended up dating, who was the who was like the the office manager, always smelled amazing. No one ever complained. The white women love themselves and brothers, boy. But the minute you decide that I'm a problem, I'm a little too uppity, a little too sedity, you go to HR, and the only thing you can complain about is my perfume or whatever. And so me understanding how white womanhood works, I was like, oh, really? This is what we're going to do? Right. Okay. I said, you know what? She's like, well, I'm going to send out a message to tell everyone that they can't wear perfume. I was like, that is absurd. I was like, you know what? This disappoints me. And, you know, it feels like an EEOC possibility. So I have to think about that. She got red in the face. Because the thing with Karens in the, in the workspace is they can't get belligerent. Right. Like the ones in the streets. So you know, it's a, it's a, it's a battle of wills. And so I went back to my office and the spirit was like, well, you want to get a day off? I was like, yeah, what do I got to do? Spirit was like, just act like you're hurt. Cause they're not used to black women, like being hurt. They're so used to us being stone faced and strong and some more shit. Yeah. So I sent her an email that was like using words that I would never actually feel in my life. I am really hurt by this whole situation and I just, I can't concentrate. She immediately took it like I was having an emotional breakdown, told me, you know what, I understand. I completely get it. So take the rest of the day off. And in fact, you don't have to come in tomorrow. We won't even charge you for the time. Because I know this, is, this, is, this has been dis disruptive. I was like, all right, two can play at that game. And I walked off the job and had a, had a day off. Everybody doesn't get to do that, right? But yeah. the reality is, is that this is where they, they wield their power in spaces where they think they have control. And the only way to get around them is to be smarter than them. Because brute force back and forth is not gonna get you anywhere. What I've learned is that 
because they can weaponize their tears and they can weaponize their pain, it doesn't matter that they hit you first. It doesn't matter that they're the problem. If the police show up, they'll say, oh, because you're black. The mere fact that you are black means that you are guilty. Yeah. And so it's really about besting them on the intellectual space. It's hard work. And I'm thankful that I don't have to deal with a, a lot because the, the belligerence that we're seeing with the masks and the, the angriness and the you know, knocking over black babies and, and reporting kids selling bottled water is really, really insane. But these women have nothing in terms of their identity and in terms of, of who they are. And so what you see is really just what the, um, these are people who want to be cool. They want, they want that black cool. They can't get it. And so what they do is they turn this into, you're doing this to me because how dare you go live your life and smile and have joy and do all these things. It's like they cannot stand to see black people being happy because they were sold a bill of goods that said their whiteness was something to aspire to and makes them better than everybody else. And what they have found is that it has not made their lives that much better. And so they create these situations so that they can feel better about themselves. Because Miss Anne had the law on her, on her side. So if you were an enslaved person, then Miss Anne could do whatever the hell she wants to. Yep. But now we don't have that system anymore. It's a tricky fish. So we have to grab that power wherever we can. Yeah, two things on that. I, you know, I had an experience with a Karen and all she did was just cry. Right. I don't even know what she said. She just cried and then right. I got arrested. I never have been able to tell my story. That was 10 years ago. Nobody's ever asked me anything, even though I tried to share and try to understand. Mm -hmm. So it happens fast. And, and I laugh because when we were little, the Little House on the Prairie used to come on. And remember the ladies used to catch the vapors? Yes. Like, that's what they would do, catch the vapors. And I have a condition called vasovagal response where I'll pass out. And my mom used to be like, I, I caught the vapors. But that's what they would do, start crying and pass out and act so you know, fragile, and then you could be dead or mutilated or whatever because yes. of that. And then um, it's interesting. My girlfriend has a phenomenal daughter. She, she might be 10. I don't know how old she is, but she's an amazing dancer. Like I'm trying to get her on Alvin Ailey. I'm trying to get her on TV. I want her to be everywhere because it's just so natural and beautiful. Her mom posted a picture of her doing her thing but seriously, maybe 10 white girls standing around like this. Right. And her mom never saw it. She never saw, I looked, that's the first thing I saw when I looked at the picture. I said, they grinning on her, look right. at this. She was like, I never saw it. The, the girl, she was just doing her thing and those girls are like, how dare you mm -hmm. be joyful and enjoy yep. what you're doing and be beautiful doing it. it yep. The yeah. joy is what gets them. For those white women who, who really have an issue with black people, it's the joy. It's the fact that you are out here minding your own business. They hate it. They can't stand it. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. When I was working in corporate, I would go to this meeting where all a lot of celebrities would be, and they would just be chit-chatting, eating breakfast with, you know, I would eat breakfast. I would chit-chat with them, and I would see my boss over in the corner going. So <laughs> then it got to, you have to be... You can't eat with them. Since when? Right. Since when? I, I thought I'm supposed to be the one creating the relationships. You know what I'm saying? Just because I'm having fun and laughing and they and we know each other and we're having a good time. Now all of a sudden, I actually got written up for it. So it's you know, it's really interesting. Evelyn, what what are your experiences have been? Hmm. 
Well, it's interesting because uh, with the Miss Anne and Karen spectrum, I'd like to add a third type on that. And that's Becky with the good hair who likes black dick, but oh. doesn't like black people. This yep. is the Patreon, so let's get in. Yes. Um, I think that's that's a really important caveat because it explains, um, you know, why uh, another way why people feel very empowered to carry on the way that they do because they see who some black men tend to protect and not others. Right. So there's that. And I think, you know, I we moved from the hood to the suburbs when I was like four or five years old. And it was went from being around my people to being the only. And I remember being in fourth grade. I know spirit walks with me because I've always been just indignant and like, you're not going to tell me I'm less than. And I remember being four years old. I went to kindergarten early because my parents said, we got to do something with this child because she can't stay home. Mm-hmm. And so they took me to go do the little test they used to do. Do you know your name, your phone number, your address? And the teacher was just sitting there asking me these questions and I, you know, did it like this and I did it in another language and some more stuff. And I just remember, you know, I, it wasn't until probably college that I realized how much white supremacy, the delusion of it thwarted my opportunities until I started having a framework and an awareness of it. But I was always that bitch. Like you want to, you want to, you want, you can catch these hands. And I literally would be minding my business and something would happen and I'll defend myself. I'm the only one getting in trouble. Right. And I think at, at, at some point I cultivated a sense of you can't tell me that you're better than me because you literally look inbred. Um, you're not smart. You are not, what kind of human being are you? Right. And you know, my early childhood experiences, and then I went to a predominantly white college you know but my that that high school experience in particular already had me keyed up to uh i don't trust y'all as far as i can throw y'all i'm not gonna pick you up to try um so where my friends called me militant because i'm like i don't don't mess with them like that um i I just don't and now everyone is coming back coming every years later saying oh you might have been right um, you know, spiritually, there's something off. There, there is a, a spiritual dysfunction that's happening in which, unless they have done a level of inner work, you, you just can't trust it because the conditioning runs deep. And so at some point when I realized, I'm like, yeah, I don't really trust y'all white women like that. I got maybe, I have one, but she literally has divested <laughs> of her whiteness. It's the strangest thing. Um, and then someone who was like trying to be more conscious, but I think also, you know, getting sued um, for workplace discrimination might do things to you and make you awaken and open up and realizing, and then having, you know, biracial children in your family, right? Yeah. Um, so there's this dynamic of y'all are problematic. I've always told you that you're problematic. And so they tend to tiptoe very lightly around me because I am not afraid of loss. Um, I have walked away from jobs. I have walked away from money. I have gone toe to toe with motherfuckers. Like, no, nah, you're not gonna have me abdicate my power to who? Yeah. You don't even like wash your feet. No, <laughs> no, absolutely not. And so, from a, even from a career perspective, when I did hold jobs, I'm like, I will not work for white women. Um, I had one experience, and I was like, oh no, 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 no. 
because I already have an issue with working a job um, because I think the whole system of jobs is nonsense anyway. But you're going to tell me I got to do this and I have to deal with you and your dog whistles and your, your tears and your antics. I'm going to get fired or someone's, they're going to put me out or someone's going to get smacked and then I'm going to have a problem. I'm going to be called difficult. So it's one of those things where I have, I was very strategic about orchestrating my life around not being around a lot of them. I got a couple who've passed some tests. Um, mm-hmm. and, and the rest of them, it's like, Hey, see from a distance, even I have a little part-time gig now for an athleisure company that, you know, luxury athleisure company. I'm the only, well, no, there's another sister, but I'm really like the only, and you know, the store manager is my Facebook friend <laughs> and I know she sees my public posts and I, they act, they act correct. Um, <laughs> Don't don't because what I also know is because I've had the professional experience. I do white indignation very well, mm. you know, clutching other pearls, uh, using keywords, right? You know, putting on the voice. Oh, you you think no one knows your game? You you think that you're the only one that knows your game? Um, so, and I'm fortunate in that. I'm fortunate that I had those earlier experiences that helped me recognize game and and organize my life in such a way of I'm not going to let y'all I got enough things to deal with I don't need all that and I try to avoid you on the outside I don't want to be around y'all you don't rate in my life and 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 so that third category of you know uh Becky with the good hair who likes black d but not black people um you know that's a part of the ploy because I think it's spiritual survival at this point, because you know, you, y'all know what your genetics are doing. Y'all know what your genetics are doing. So there, there's, there, there is so much historically. And, and, and even when you look at the feminist movement, the fe, you know, feminism and everything else, y'all are mad that the white men didn't give you what they promised if you assigned your allegiance to them. Right. And, and you're taking it out on everyone else around you and you're mad and you're hot and you're bothered because you have been so infantilized and so told that you are not capable and you were treated as such that you think that by oppressing other people, or taking what you think belongs to somebody else is gonna uphold your delusion of white supremacy. You might get that from somebody else, but you got the right person today. Don't come over here with that bullshit. You know, it's interesting. The white man holds back his daughter, Mm -hmm. his mother, and his wife. Like, no voting rights and all these things. Like, you know, they holding you back too. So I understand the anger. I, I mean, you know. Right. We're not your enemy. Right. You know, you, you need to go look at what you're laying down with and you need to go look at what you're making and you need to let, put your wrath and rage on them. Leave yeah. us out of it. Well, the issue though, is that, you know, and I teach this in my class is that the idea of white identity only exists as a way to justify the enslavement and the imperialistic forces that destroy most of the world. Mm -hmm. So when you start saying, oh, I'm white, you know, 
you're doing that just so that you can see so that when when the, the things start to you know lay out you can say oh well god said this was okay because i'm white and so part of that understanding particularly in america is that in order to maintain order you have to trick people into believing that their racial designation is more important than their actual existence so you tell white people at least you're not a nigger. that's what you teach white people you tell yeah. them that yes i this i white man number 78 i own all this land and i got 70 human beings that i own that makes it easy for me to to work this land you got two children and a dog and a wife and you got this one acre that you can't manage so my success is happening my success actually overshadows what you're able to do because it's not a fair system because you basically have free labor but this is what i'm going to do for you i'm going to convince you <coughs> that your skin color is some sort of elevated past and i'm going to show you what i do to these black people and i'm going to tell you that at least you're not them because we can own them, we can abuse them, we can do whatever we want. So at least you're not a nigga. You may not have a good education. You may never, your kids may never be able to move past the station of the poverty that they're in, but at least you're not a nigga. And then enslavement ends. And then all of a sudden, the same people that were being abused, half a generation later, own land, have built homes. They got three, you know, three and four families living together and they pooling their resources and they're doing fine they actually read better than your people they wash their feet. right you, they wash their feet they do all of the things that they need to do because now you've said okay go be free so you know what black people do they go find their people and they mind their business yep and in in that process because you want to segregate they grow their own situation they they make their lives what they are able to manage in less than half a generation is balls. when you think of the, the sheer fact of white people being out here being free and not being bothered could not get nearly as far and so those same generation of people that were told at least you're not a nigger are now looking at people across the tracks because you've said to these white black people in fact we're going to build this railroad you stay on your side after dark in fact you will get this swamp land because we don't want this this is not this is terrible land you will get this swamp land and you know what these people have gone they have drained the goddamn swamp they have built a foundation and within 50 years time, the, the cross the street from the train tracks looks better than the white people. And now there's confusion because you've been told and the system has presented you with examples time and time and time again, that you are better off not being a nigger. And now all these niggas got better houses. They have more land. They are prosperous. They can read and shit. And you are looking at your white life and not understanding how the hell you got here? Because you were told that your whiteness guaranteed you something. Yeah. And it's all a ploy to keep you from paying attention to the fact that the real demon in all of this is a white man that looks like you, mm -hmm. who is lying to you, who is paying you less money, who is out here, you know, shucking and jiving so that you don't ever ask for more than he's giving you by creating an, an underclass of black people that is visible to you to say, hey, so you go to the steel farm where you're making 30 cents an hour, but Jimbo's making 15 because he's a nigga. But Jimbo, on Sunday night, his clothes are better than yours. Jimbo's daughter can read better than your daughter. And you are confused because it doesn't make any sense. So instead of you going to beat the white man's ass that's got his finger on your neck, you go and you destroy the black town.
because your psyche cannot manage this idea that you are black and successful, black and prosperous, because that was never supposed to happen. And then you have these oppressed women in these systems that because they're women can't do but so much, but they have power in one space. They may not be able to participate with the boys in the government making and the voting and all this other shit, but they can make black people's lives miserable. All they got to do is push that little trigger button on the white men who are so afraid that black people are going to come over and repay them for slavery that whatever you want to do, he looked at me wrong, daddy. You know, she said something to me that I didn't like. And it becomes this huge thing now. And she realizes at seven, at five, at, at, at 15, at 35, that she as a white woman has power to destroy them. And over time, we just keep at it. The only time you value white womanhood in this country is when a black person's involved. Because mm. normally white men don't give a shit about white women. Like con- contrary to popular belief, they don't. Like that time and time again. Not the way they put them in trafficking, not the way they traffic these women, traffic these teenage girls, the the laws they pass. They don't care about white women, but bring a black person into this mix. Then all of a sudden, we putting white women on pedestals and oh my God, we're concerned. You don't give a shit about white women until black men want to bury them, have sex with them, or give them babies. That's the only time you're concerned about white women when there's a threat of black dick around somewhere. Like that's realness. And the re- why, go ahead. No, I was gonna say in the realities, I remember so this same job I'm working, you know, all this stuff is happening. So now they have their, you know, DNI um diversity and inclusion uh initiatives and all this. And so they made us do some forum and have a staff meeting around it. And I wasn't gonna say nothing because it's too early in the morning. You know, I'm the only brown face in there and I'm the oldest one on the team, blah, blah, blah. I'm, I wasn't gonna say anything. And then they're chitter chattering and no one's really getting to the depth of what they need to get to. And I'm like, well, let me just go on and rip this bandaid off because I'm awake now. <laughs> and I was like, look, your whiteness is manufactured. Um, if you came from Ireland, Poland, Ukraine, any of the Eastern Bloc, you weren't white until the 60s or 70s in the United States. Right. Um, whiteness was a white Anglo-Saxon Protestant property. If you weren't that, you were a nigger before the niggers were niggers. Yep. And that's what I said. And they were like, oh, oh. <laughs> you know, your, your whiteness is manufactured. You Polish people, you, you, I see these last names. Mm-hmm. Y'all, your grandparents weren't white. As a matter of fact, when the, the Polish and the other Eastern Bloc people were in Chicago, they kept to themselves. And it was only when the establishment said, you can either join us and get economic access. Because remember, what was happening in Ukraine was they were going through famine. Mm-hmm. They were going through, you know, all whatever was happening uh, with the authoritarian dictatorship and all that other type of stuff. And so a lot of these folks, they were refugees. Y'all came here as refugees. You weren't white. And the establishment, when your white woman kept aborting their babies because they were in abusive relationships or they were just figuring out women's rights and everything else, and they said, oh, our population is going down and these black people keep doing stuff, they needed more agents of whiteness. And so they promised you, if you join forces with us, you don't have to be poor anymore. We're going to give you economic access. 
we're going to give you access to all these programs and, and these methods and these means to become middle class. So when I think about that white uh, Ukrainian woman in New York City who called the police on the black girl who was sitting in her own neighborhood yeah. on a bench outside. Yeah, so. You don't even live here. She lives here. And I'm looking, you don't even know your history. You troglodyte. You don't even know your history. You are so deluded in white supremacy that you, are, you don't even realize that you're a guest. You still have an accent. You came from nothing. And you had to marry up in order for you to be where you're at. You can't afford this on your own. You got to be someone's punching bag to be here. And so I was like, y'all need to learn your white history. And what you will learn is that you are not white. Right. You will learn that you are white by convenience and that the minute they have no use for you is the minute that you're going to be thrown in the garbage with everyone else. But you know what? Black folk are going to be okay because this ain't nothing new to us. And we figure and sort things out, except for those of us who want the white adjacency and fall into line with the white supremacy. The lowercase blacks. Continue. The lowercase blacks, the delusion, you know? So I'm like, y'all are buying into a delusion of a system that doesn't serve you. Because right now, y'all are the majority of people crying about how you can't raise your kids that you can't work and you can't educate your kids at the same time. But you see, ever see what rural America looks like? This is the issue though. This is why these Karens are dangerous. Is right. that they don't, there is a system in place. You will not have running water. You will not have access to good education, but you will hold on to whiteness. Like that shit is the life's blood. Mm -hmm. Like the cognitive dissonance is amazing. Like right now in this country, Watching these videos of white women, I know my rights and I don't want to wear a mask, this, that, and the third, rah, 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 rah. I was like, are you stupid? You've lost your mind. You are sitting here, even in this space, trying to weaponize your femaleness, your white femaleness, because of a mask. And when the time comes, and we're seeing it with that little white woman, the bird watcher. Christian Cooper needs his ass beat. I love what he's trying to do, but this is not the time for, for mercy in terms of, you know, not trying to, you know, she's been through enough. No, she hasn't. This is why, you know, white men don't give a shit about white women. Mm -hmm. If that was a white man that had done that shit in the bird watching park, the shit could have escalated and it could have gotten worse, but they wouldn't be finding, they would not have tried to um, file charges against this man. They are making an example of this woman because she's a woman. That's what they're doing. They're like, mm, white woman, disposable. She's not really popular or famous. We can get rid of her. So we'll make an example to appease the masses because this shit is absolutely egregious. The video is, is, is so telling. It's ridiculous. But in that space, you don't even understand as a white woman that what they are doing is they're saying that you're disposable. That's why this Karen business always like blows me because I'm like, you all are too stupid to realize that you're pawns in this game. Mm-hmm. They would do without you if they could. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And import more of you from the Eastern Bloc. So, so Rissy, you know, people are these so-called allies, and I don't like when I don't like to use the term ally because I feel like it's your problem. You need to fix it. Don't come like you're caping for me trying to save me. But so there's the white. You said the white guilt economy. Yes. And that we have this small window of opportunity to, I don't know, capitalize on it. I, I don't know. Right. What, what, what was your thought on that part of, you know, how for us to harness that this time 
so that it, it's impactful moving forward. So the white guilt economy is something that I originally said tongue in cheek to describe this massive, you know, buy from black people practice that we saw early days of COVID and well, early days of uprising. All of a sudden, all of these lists were being created. You know, these are the top, you know, these are some, these are 10 black designers that you should buy from, or these are 10 black makers or artisans or 10 black boutiques. And so white people in wanting to show their solidarity, um, you know, resorted to retail shopping. And I have friends who have done quite well, you know, because of it. And at the same time realize that as black makers, as black creators, they are often creating with black people in mind. And so how does it feel when you make something that you know is part of a black cultural context and a white person buys it? And so there were some that, you know, when I was talking to them, I was like, well, this is the white guilt economy. You should use this and you shouldn't feel bad. Cause you know, there were some people who were feeling guilt over it. Like, you know, am I selling out? But I was like, fuck that. We're in the middle of a pandemic. This government is not going to support us the way we need to. I have a W-2 job for a little bit longer. I don't know how much longer it's going to last, but you know, we thankful, but you don't. So take this money. The problem though is that we have not been able to differentiate capitalism from violent capitalism. And we don't understand the difference. Yeah. And so people are operating from a violently capitalistic perspective where it's like, let me grab all this money from these white people, but you're not being strategic. Like, I believe for a lot of these white people, this is just a way to say, hey, I gave you some money. And when somebody calls them racist, they'll be like, that's not true. I purchased stuff from this black boutique. Yep. You know, or when it's time for them to show off to their friends what they did during the COVID pandemic. Oh, I bought these earrings. I don't really give a shit about that. Buy, buy the earrings, do whatever. But as a black person, if all you are doing is taking this money and you're not strategizing on how to make it extend, then you're going you're gonna to come to a rude awakening when the shit, because I'm telling you, white people will get bored with this. Oh, yeah. Portland is amazing to see these white people go crazy in Portland because they've got stamina. But we are at the beginning of the middle of this bitch. We are nowhere near anywhere towards the end. And for black people who have been fighting this fight for generations, everybody's tired. So while this influx of money is fantastic and it's good, if you're not being strategic with it. So for example, instead of taking all these cash app dollars, and the other thing though, and Evelyn will probably be able to speak to this a little bit more, I'm a little concerned at how much money is being siphoned through cash app. People are getting, are, you know, when you look at it, have, you know, received five to $10,000 in cash app donations and this, that, and the third. I'm not convinced at some point there's going to be a tax problem with that, with all this money coming in. That's absolutely a tax problem. Yeah. You know, and so people aren't even thinking about that. So you are taking all this money through your personal accounts. And because everybody's cash apping, you know, what might be a few dollars here and there on a normal basis is like $5,000, $10,000 that somebody is tracking. So there's not, we got to be smart. And what that looks like is, hey, you know what? Bet, this is a great example. You want to follow my shit? Fine. Don't buy shit from me. Give me this Kickstarter. I'm going to create a Kickstarter where I'm going to create a coffee table book of flyness. When the coffee table book is ready, I need $50,000 to do this coffee table book. And when the coffee table book is ready, you'll get your copy. So by the time you've given me the money, you've purchased something, I have an expense list to prove that I've spent all this money in making this book happen. I've sold you this thing. So if I'm lucky, maybe 20,000 of you have decided to buy my book. I got 20,000 units sold. I can now take these numbers 
manage my taxes. And now I can say to a publisher, well, I was able to sell 20,000 units on my own. So, you know what you want to do. Those white people who buy that book may never crack that bitch open, but a coffee table book in your white ass house, even if nobody in the immediate family opens it, somebody will open that book. There's a better chance that you are, you are, you are sowing a seed in some, in some young person's mind who might get that book and be completely mesmerized by it in terms of changing the narrative, as opposed to everybody just throwing money at the problem. Cause money doesn't, money is helpful in the long, in the short term, but it's not helping with the long term. Right. And that's part of the problem. The other part is that when we go back to the whole Karen thing, when these women buy shit from you, they think that they, they, they take that one purchase and they make it a blanket statement over everybody black. They check the box. Yep. They check the box. And then when you come for them for their, na- their nastiness, well, I just purchased that. They will tell you that they purchased a pair of, you know, a bag from some black vendor and they'll think that that covers them from being a racist prick. And this is the problem. Like, I'm, I say take advantage of it, but we need to understand that this is not some act of solidarity or allyship. This is white guilt. This economy is based on, I feel terrible for being white. And so this is how I assuage my guilt. Period. Are you ready to deal with everything that comes with that, particularly if you're a service provider and you have an influx of, you know, white folks who are wanting work from you and all this other type of stuff? Are you uh, capable and ready to deal with everything that comes with their angst? Um, And even, you know, from the the cash app and all the digital transactions and everything, people really need to understand Patriot Act 1 and 2 changed a lot of the ways in which we do banking. Um, You can't open a bank account without very specific things anymore. And to the point they digging up your ass to see if you're a real human being before they let you open up a bank account, asking you very invasive questions to make sure you're not the terrorist. Meanwhile, you know, at 1600, there you go. Anyway, um, but the rule is, so they track all the transactions. Uh, processors have to track your transactions in the event that they have to give you a uh, canine um, which is a form that says this is how much money you have tr- uh, processed through uh, one of these people. And up to a certain point, they have to give you the form, but they track it all. And any deposit that you make into your bank account over 5000 or $10,000 gets reported to Treasury because there is automatic tracking because they're looking for these things. And so even if you have a transaction and you try to break it up into two transactions under $10,000. <laughs> they, they know that it's all that it's the counterterrorism anti-fraud stuff. So they track everything that goes into your account. They pay, you know, your bank has a logarithms for your account. And if, when, if, and when they see transactions that are out of your norm, they can flag your account. They'll maybe ask you questions about it. And or when you are filing a tax return with the IRS, it's, it's what we call a, what's called an informational return. So they already know, they have an estimate of what your income is already. And when you file the return, they're looking to see if what you report matches up to what they have estimated your income is. You get audited when your expenses are out of range, it's called a diff score your differential score. So when your expenses are out of range for your industry, that might key an audit. If 
you have a mathematical or computational area, it'll um, maybe do a paper audit where they say, hey, we recalculated, you owe us more or less. Or if you have transactions um, over a certain threshold that you did not report, they can't match to what you reported, they come in after you because in the United States, the definition of income is any ascension to wealth. So if you earned something that gave you more than what you started with, that's income, which is why some of the best ways to earn income is through non-cash, uh, like real estate transactions and stuff like that, because there are so many laws that exclude certain things of income. So you're getting all this cash. If you're not paying attention, um, you are going to have a really fucked up tax bill at the end of the year. Oof. And so you, when you're, this is the financial acumen that needs to happen. It's not about people, you know, giving you money to, to pay your rent and calling it a gift. No, you get a gift from a person up to a certain amount, you can exclude it. But, and if it's coming from multiple people and it's not called a gift, it is income. So you, people have got to be really strategic about what's happening, how it's happening, who the money is coming from. Cash App, I think, is owned by, who is it, PayPal? Uh, Venmo, no, Venmo is PayPal. Cash App might be Square. Something else might be Stripe. You right. know, these, these cash systems are tied into these bigger processor systems. Everything is connected. You ain't hiding nothing from nobody. The only way you will hide it is someone, is someone gave you an envelope uh, under your door. Right. And even then. Right. You know? Well, I appreciate, I don't want to hold any more of your time. I appreciate all of the information that you've shared. Um, I, I want to ask one last question before we wrap up. When we know that this is over, where's the first place you're going? Away from here. <laughs> Away. Wherever the first place you're going. Yeah, first place about is that. probably going to be in the grill because I miss Yamaya over there. She's amazing. I love hanging out in her water. And then I will probably go sit my ass in Lagos for a minute and just release. But I'm definitely getting on the plane, getting the hell out of here. Yeah. 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 Well, thank you. I wish you lots of peace. And I wish that you get, you know, all the things that you need while we're sitting here closed in, that you get all the things you need financially, spiritually, emotionally, physically, that you stay well. And, um, you know, like I say, I appreciate it. And thank you, Rissy, for um, the idea for the Patreon. I, I was going to do it. I just, you know, like, is this one, one more it. thing? Then I, I need an assistant and Sydney's not interested. So <laughs> I get it. I'm figuring it out, but thank you for that. That yep, was a welcome. good push. I need to get pushed sometimes. So um, I'm gonna put this on um I'm gonna put this on 